0: Goes by the student Bo Bo's Nerdly. It's time for the soul of excellence. He is a radio host at 77 WABC here in New York. The Rush Hour is on the air. Rush,
1: rush.
0: Now, here's Bo's Nerdly on the Red Apple Podcast Network. <laughs> Attention Ditto heads. Attention, Bo Scouts. Goes by the pseudonym Bo snurdly It's time for the soul of excellence. He is a radio host at 77 WABC here in New York. The rush hour is on the air. Rush Rush Now here's Bo snurdly
1: Welcome my friends. It is Thursday and welcome to your Thursday rush hour. Nick, I'm assuming that the uh, telephone lines lines are our normal lines, right? So 800-848-WABC is the number to call. If you'd like to be on the program today, 800-848-9222. There is a lot to talk about this afternoon. President Trump is supposed to be arrested again. Well, no, I'm sorry. He was summoned. This is not an arrest. He has been summoned with the indictment. But nonetheless, he'll be hit with more charges today. These phony charges by Jack Smith. We are going to start something new here on Bosner and Rush Hour. I am very pleased to let you know that later on this hour, Andrew Giuliani will be joining us. And we're going to do that every Thursday. Andrew and I are going to get together and talk every Thursday. I love Andrew Giuliani. I love... We had a chat the other day that was just so amazing, and uh, Andy Andrew has graciously agreed to come back on the program and hang out with me every Thursday. So later in the program, we're going to talk to Andrew Giuliani. Of course, your calls are always welcome, and we're going to take as many of your calls as we can squeeze in this hour too. Uh, there is something that I would like to lead off with that is not ordinary for this program and that is a piece by David Brooks of the New York Times. I think that this piece is something that most... uh, There are probably a lot of upset people in the New York Times because he told a few truths, and these truths normally escape the headlines of any mainstream press outlet. Now, he also did not leave his position of being a Trump hater. And he gets to that in the beginning and the end of the column. But it's the rest of the column that is worth actually going through. And you might be as surprised as I am from it. If you also heard Mayor Rudy... He was talking about the Devin Archer testimony that has been released. It shows, number one, that this congressman, Dan Goldman, is just so full of it. Uh, But more importantly, it shows that Joe Biden has been lying all the time, and we knew that, about involvement with his son's business. To the David Brooks piece, it is entitled, What if we're the bad guys here? He begins this way, ladies and gentlemen. Donald Trump seems to get indicted on a weekly basis, yet he is utterly domineering his Republican rivals in the poll, and he is tied with Joe Biden in the general election surveys. Trump's poll numbers are stronger against Biden now than at any other time in 2020. What's going on here? Why is this guy still politically viable after all that he has done? We anti-Trumpers... David Brooks says, speaking of himself and his ilk. We anti-Trumpers often tell a story to explain that. It was encapsulated in a quote, the University of North Carolina political scientist Mark Hetherton gave to my colleague Thomas B. Edsel recently. Republicans see a world changing around them uncomfortably fast, and they want it to slow down, maybe even take a step backwards. But if you were a person of color, a woman who values gender equity, or an LGBT person, would you want to go back to 1963? I doubt it. Well, I'm a person of color, and I wouldn't want to go back to 1963. But at the same time, it doesn't mean that I'm against Republicans And at the same time, one of the reasons I wouldn't want to go back to 1963 is that the Democrats were in charge, the Jim Crow Democrats. And I would not want to go back to living under Jim Crow Democrats, Mr. Brooks, but let's get to the other points. He says in that story he just talked about, we anti-Trumpers are the good guys, the forces of progress and enlightenment. The Trumpers are reactionary bigots and authoritarians. Many Republicans support Trump no matter what, according to this story, because at the end of the day, he's still the bigot-in-chief, the embodiment of their resentments, and that's what matters to them most. I partly agree with this story, says Brooke, but it's also a monument to elite self-satisfaction. And this is where things turn a little bit interesting. He says, so let me try another story on you. I ask you to try on a vantage point in which we anti-Trumpers are not the eternal good guys. In fact, we're the bad guys. This story begins in the 1960s when high school grads had to go off to fight in Vietnam, but the children of educated of the educated class got college deferments. It continues in the 1970s when the authorities imposed busing on working-class areas in Boston, but not on upscale communities like Wellesley where they themselves lived. The ideal that we're all in this together was replaced with the reality that the educated class lives in a world up here and everyone else is forced into a world down there. Members of our class are always publicly speaking, speaking out, for the marginalized, but somehow we always end up building systems that serve ourselves. The most important of those systems is the modern meritocracy. We built an entire social order that sorts and excludes people on the basis of the quality we possess most, academic achievement. Highly educated parents go to elite schools, marry each other, work at high-paying professional jobs, and pour enormous resources into our children who get into the same elite schools, marry each other, and pass their exclusive class privileges down from generation to generation. And then he cites a book, and let me pick up further, The Meritocracy Isn't Only a System of Exclusion, It's an Ethos. During his presidency, Barack Obama used the word smart in the context of his policies over 900 times. The implication was that anyone... Anybody who disagreed with his policies and perhaps didn't go to Harvard Law must be stupid. Over the last decades, we've taken over whole professions and locked everyone else out. When I began my journalism career in Chicago in the 1980s, there were still some old crusty working class guys around the newsroom. Now, we're not only a college dominated profession, we're an elite college dominated profession. Only point only 0.8 of all college students graduate from the super elite schools. There are 12 of them. A 2018 study found that more than 50% of the staff writers at the beloved New York Times and the Wall Street Journal attended one of the 29 most elite universities in the nation. He goes on to say that members of our class also segregate ourselves into a few booming metro areas. San Francisco, D.C., Austin, and so on, in 2020, Biden, only, Biden won only 500 or so counties, but together they're responsible for 71% of the American economy. Trump won over 2,500 counties, responsible for only 29% of the American economy. Once we find our clicks, we don't get out much. In the book Social Class and in the 21st Century, sociologist Mike Savage and his co-researchers found that members of the highly educated class tend to be the most insular, measured by how often we have contact with those who have jobs unlike our own. This is pretty amazing stuff, coming from David Brooks. It is an admission as to what we all know, the upper, upper class class, Of liberals is a class unto themselves. Armed with all kinds of economic, cultural, and political power, we support policies that help ourselves. Free trade makes the products we buy cheaper, and our jobs are unlikely to be moved to China. Open immigration makes our service staff cheaper. But new, less-educated immigrants aren't likely to put downward pressure on our wages. Like all elites, we use language as more and, and mores as tools to recognize another and to exclude others. Using words like problematic, cisgender, Latinx, and intersectional is a sure sign that you've got cultural capital coming out of your ears. Meanwhile, members of the less educated classes have to walk on eggshells because they've never known when we've changed the usage rules so that something that was sayable five years ago now gets you fired. We also change the moral norms in ways that suit ourselves. Never mind the cost to others. For example, there used to be a norm that discouraged people from having children outside of marriage. But that got washed away during our period of cultural dominance as we eroded norms that seemed judgmental or that might inhibit individual freedom. After this social norm was eroded, a funny thing happened. Members of our class still overwhelmingly married and then had children within wedlock. People without resources, unsupported by social norms, were less able to do that. And he talks about this, as we know this is a fact, folks. The rate of single parenting is the most significant predictor of social immobility in our country. And Mr. Brooks then asked the question does this mean i think people in my class are vicious and evil no most of us are earnest kind public spirited but we take for granted and benefit from systems that have become oppressive elite institutions have become so politically progressive in part because the people in them want to feel good about themselves as they take part in systems that ins- that exclude and reject. And then he talks about why Trump is popular among these people. This is a somewhat damning look at his own elite class. It is not complete. He says, for instance, in here that the elite wanted to do things that less, less judgmental. They are the most judgmental people on the planet. They are the most intolerant. And I'm talking as a class. When you talk about progressives, liberals, you look at what they do. They're so intolerant. I looked at the way a few weeks ago that Joe Biden was handling folks over in Africa. We keep hearing all the time how we're supposed to be big proponents of diversity one of the African nations, I think it was uh, uh, Uganda, put in some really stiff anti-homosexual legislation in their country. It's a sovereign country. Yet Joe Biden went on a rampage about it, like he's big white father of the United States, and he has the right to tell African nations how they're going to run their affairs. And you see this kind of thing happen all the time. Liberals decide on a course of action, they decide that boys can be girls, girls can be boys, and if you don't agree with them, then all of a sudden, you're oppressed, because this is the elite view. Liberals have decided that they hate the idea that criminals are in jail, so they let them out, like they just did in Chicago, without cash bond, like they're doing in Illinois, the whole state. Doesn't matter who gets killed. This is what happens every day across America. The policies that these elites put in place are crushing society, and they don't care. Along comes Donald Trump, and he calls them out on it. And not only does he call them out on it, he tries to dismantle their deep state. And his reward for that is to now be arrested multiple times and facing more wrath and hatred from Democrats today. This was a very instructive piece. I'm surprised the New York Times ran it. I was surprised that David Brooks wrote it. You can read the whole thing. I skipped over a few parts here and there in the New York Times today. James Golden, snarly, with you here on WABC. Andrew Giuliani will be along along with us later in the program. If you want to get on hold, now's a good time. We may take a few calls quickly so that we have time to talk with Andrew and talk with you. 800-848-WABC. Fifth Dimension. Today, one of the co-founders, Ron Townsend, back in 2001, went on to his heavenly reward at age 68. Fifth Dimension on WABC.
0: The Rush Hour is on the air. Attention, Ditto Heads. Attention, bow Scouts. Rush. On the Red Apple Podcast Network.
1: WABC Talk Radio 77. Kid Rock brings us back on WABC. This song based on Warren Zevon's Werewolves in London and Leonard Skinner's Sweet Home, Alabama, all summer long. Win number one for Kid Rock. On this day in 2008. You know, this is also a, uh, a day for me that was a seminal day in music, in, in my music life. On August uh, 3rd, 1973, Stevie... Wonder released his 16th studio album. Inner Visions. Stevie played almost every single instrument on the album. He did a lot of the backing vocals himself. He had others, though, doing the backing vocals. Nine Tracks. Oh, my gosh. Good choice, Nick. This is Golden Lady from that album. And it was an incredible album. This album won multiple Grammy Awards for Stevie, followed the Grammys that he had won with the Talking Book album. And if you look at Stevie's history, there were like four albums in a row that you could see the maturity of him from the incredible but young Motown artist following the Motown formula, then leading in the Motown formula as a songwriter, as a composer, as an arranger and producer. It He began to change with the album that had Do Yourself a Favor on it, Where I'm Coming From is the album. And that was appropriately tied, Where I'm Coming From. And he started experimenting with his sound on Where I'm Coming From. Music of my mind followed that was a phenomenal album. First time that many of us heard synthesizers widely used on a record. Then came Talking Book with its own unique sound. And by the way, Talking Book, the engineering. You don't hear people talk about that much, but the engineering on that record was incredible. It was a sonic marvel. Then came this, Inner Visions. And this record came out, and this Stevie was... The Stevie Wonder. He had grown into an entirely different Stevie Wonder than the the little Stevie Wonder and the teenage Stevie Wonder. Just an incredible artist. So I'm not going to play a lot from this album today, but on this weekend, I'm going to go through the Inner Visions album with you on our Saturday morning radio extravaganza. Just a wonderful, wonderful recording. Now, as I said, Andrew Giuliani's gonna join us and I want to talk about the indictments with Andrew Giuliani and I want to talk about them with you. So this is the opportunity that I'll have to speak about them with you. Uh Andrew will be along at about forty minutes uh after the hour. So let's get your call started right now. And we can talk about the and the what's going on with the indictment, what's going on with Hunter Biden's case, with this article by Brooks that I read. And let's start there with Ralph and New Rochelle, this article from David Brooks. How are you this afternoon, Ralph?
2: I'm doing well, Mr. Golden. A pleasure to speak to you again. You think this may be uh, Mr. Brooks' come-to-Jesus moment? He's actually saying what most people realize what goes on in this country with the elite class. I mean, when you hear him speak about talking about single motherhood and how having an intact family generates the wealth and their policies keep some of these poor people in a single relationship with their children. These people contribute to the racism, I believe. And also when it comes to school choice, he's talking about the elite universities that they go to. They don't even give the poor people a chance to get out of the crappy schools that they're in so the kids can get a better education. You know, I think he's setting himself up because he knows when Donald Trump gets back in office, he is going to clean house with all of his crap. And that's my point. Well,
1: well, I don't know about. Look, I think if Donald Trump is able to secure the presidency again, if you think liberals went nuts the first time you put on your seatbelt, because we're going to be in a land that we have never seen before. They think that they finally got him. They've loaded so many charges. Right now, he's—you know—he's approaching eighty. Charges. When when he gets through with Georgia, and Georgia's coming. By the way, the sheriff in 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 this county in Georgia today said, Ugh, "Well, Donald Trump is going to have to get a mug shot here. No mug shot everywhere else. But we're not going to alter any rules for Donald Trump. He gets no special treatment here. So they're planning on putting Donald Trump in handcuffs." And making him do a mugshot, probably the perp walk, I wouldn't doubt it if they can get away with it, if the Secret Service would let them do that. what is going? This is unconscionable, what's happening in Georgia, even before the charges. Now Fannie Willis down there has pushed it back. She's saying it might be September before she brings charges, the beginning of September, before she had asked the courts to clear the first few weeks in August. But see, they're all playing together to try to make sure, and this is duplicitous, what they're doing, to try to make sure that not only Donald Trump has to fight himself on four fronts now legally, this is election interference like we have never seen in this country, but this is also a warning to those people associated with Donald Trump. You want to work for this guy? Guess what we'll do to you? We'll make you an unindicted co-conspirator if we have to. And you have your own legal conundrum to deal with. Now, as for Brooks, does he see the light? I'm not convinced. He's recognizing some truth, but see, you just articulated more truth than he did. He talked about these things, but he still talked about them from the blue sky version. You talked about what the actual damage is from these policies. And he didn't go into any, re-de- into except to say, oh, they're oppressive. They're more than oppressive. They're destructive. They are destroying the American dream. And you, Ralph, just went right there. And David Brooks still can't go there. So I'm not convinced that this is his his moment. But at least he went further than most liberals that call themselves conservatives do. So thanks, Ralph, for the call. Appreciate it. James Golden, WABC. We're going to take a little short break now. More of your calls coming up. And then we're going to also have Andrew Giuliani with us. Yeah, you remember this one, right? The cars. On this day, they released this one. Drive. WABC Radio 77. Let's drive into traffic.
0: It's
2: the Rush Hour
0: with Bo Snerdley on the Red Apple Podcast Network.
1: Patsy Klein. on this day in 1999, received a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. Considered to be one of the most influential, successful, highly acclaimed female vocalists of the 20th, vocalist of the 20th century, Patsy Cline. On WABC Talk Radio 77, there is a, a, to me, it's almost hysterically funny piece in the New York Times today as well by Mara Gay. She says that Mayor Adams is turning his back on immigrants and New York City's legacy. Now, you all know, I don't really defend Mayor Adams that much. I think this guy is so obnoxious. Like the way he went after that woman and uh, a few weeks ago. It was just disgusting. <clears throat> yes. And, you know, Mayor Adams also, you know. But, I have to defend him just a little bit here. I'm sorry. It seems that Mara Gay is upset. She says, Still, there's something uh, particularly disappointing about New York City's official response to the asylum seekers unfolding under the gaze of the Statue of Liberty. Oh, how lovely. Nearly four in ten city residents were born outside the United States. Waves of immigrants, Dutch, Irish, Italian, Jewish, Chinese, Latino, and Afro-Caribbean immigrants, along with many others, helped build this city. So did millions of black Americans who chased dreams in the city after fleeing the tyranny of the Jim Crow South. You might want to add there, Miss Gay, fleeing the Democrats of the Jim Crow South. But of course you wouldn't do that. The That rich legacy doesn't seem to be on Mr. Adams' mind. Since the moment migrants began showing up last spring, he has made clear he wants little to do, with the practical or humanitarian issues their arrival has raised. The mayor has provided basic service for the migrants, and rightly so, but at every turn he's done so grudgingly. He complained loudly that the immigrants were a burden on the city's resources. His administration shut down a welcome center at the Port Authority. You know what, Miss Gay? Come out of your fantasy world, your high elite fantasy world. Illegal immigrants are a burden, and if you are going to be honest, intellectually honest, which apparently seems to be impossible, you should know that the asylum system that many of these people are coming here is a sham. I mean, so Mayor Adams isn't welcoming enough. I mean, for goodness sakes. Really? The city's being overrun. You have people sleeping in the streets, but that's not enough for you. Bring in more. Bring, who's paying for it, Miss Gay? I find this ironic. You all have, have closed your eyes to what's been happening with illegal immigration for the last 20 years in America. And now all of a sudden it's here in your backyard, and this is your response? Oh, he doesn't have the right attitude. He's doing so grudgingly. Really? Get a, get real. Ladies and gentlemen, Andrew Giuliani is here with us. Andrew, how wonderful that we are going to be able to speak with each other on a weekly basis. How are you doing, my friend?
3: Well, Bo, thank you so much for the invitation. And I just got to tell you, the one thing that I would even add to that is that Mayor Adams actually invited this problem to New York City? I remember a year ago he called Greg Abbott a racist. He continually yep. dared them to send up immigrants to uh, you know these asylum seekers to New York City, and he even came in and greeted the first ships. We told him at the time that uh, that this was a disaster waiting to happen, and it seems like his ego has gotten in the way, and he certainly has chewed off far more than bit off far more than he can chew.
1: You got that right. Andrew, let's talk about these indictments. Okay, number one, I have seen a plethora of esteemed lawyers, some of them not partisan, by the way, some of them who just do law. They don't do politics. And the majority of what I've read is that they're saying, oh, come on, on this last indictment, there's no crime here this is all this is not this shouldn't have even been brought once again and of course then we have the unindicted co-conspirators i know that hits hard talk to us about your take but but there are people defending this and saying oh yeah we finally got trump now oh this is this is justice has to be done what is your take on these indictments that the president is going to have to deal with this afternoon
3: Well, I've been hearing those people say that for the last seven years. It's probably the exact same people that you and I have been seeing over that stretch saying the exact same thing, whether it be Russia whether it be the two impeachments, whether it be the three previous indictments and now this one. You know, it's funny, Bo, on my Sunday show, I actually predicted this. I had a caller call in and ask if Devin Archer does testify, do you think that there's going to be a coming indictment on Trump? I said, if Devin Archer testifies on Monday, if in fact he goes through with it, my prediction is they will they will indict trump by tuesday or wednesday and sure enough by tuesday they did indict him look i think anybody who looks at this from an unbiased lens has to see this for what it is as completely political and i'm actually here in a uh, in a few short days going to my wife's homeland of lithuania for a week and i can tell you that over there when they look at what's happening to the united states of america it reminds them so much of the Stalinist Show trials that they saw in Eastern Europe here just sixty, seventy years ago. And that's really what it feels like, sadly, with these indictments.
1: Why do you think that uh there were unindicted co conspirators? What is your theory your theory about that, Andrew?
3: My theory is that's a warning sign, probably from Smith and the Justice Department saying that Hey, look, you know, you comply with us and we won't bring the weight of the Department of Justice uh, onto you. Uh, So that's my guess on that one. Um, You know, just the same way that I would look at the letter that was sent to Devin Archer on Saturday by the Department of Justice requesting the uh, uh, sentencing for him. They knew they weren't going to stop him from testifying on Monday, but I think they thought they can control what he was going to say, basically saying, If you reveal too much, if you say the wrong things, we are going to come at you with the full weight, not not just of the Department of Justice, but of the United States government. So that's the way that I view it with these co-conspirators. All
1: right, Andrew, I don't know whether it's appropriate to ask you for your crystal ball, but I'm going to ask anyway. And So, all right, look at these. Now, we're close to 80 charges now against Trump, and we have yet to get to what's going to happen in Georgia. Already you've got a Georgia sheriff saying, oh, salivating. Oh, he's going to do a mugshot unless somebody tells me different. Oh, no. So you know the handcuffs and the mugshot are going to come out in Georgia. Yeah. Looking at your crystal ball. Look, they're trying to drain Trump's campaign dollars so that they have to get all diverted into legal defense, number one. Bingo. They're trying to interfere with the election.
3: How do you think all of this plays out? It's a great question. I think they're going to continue to go after him. I think you're absolutely right. That's the intent. It's to make sure that they are draining the campaign dollars in there. That way, Biden can Biden or whoever as in how many ends up being. We're not we're not sure it's going to be Biden at this point. right? I could see it being Newsom or somebody else potentially. But whoever Trump has to run against, they want him to deplete all of his money and have it put it into these legal defense defense things. But, you know, it's tough to actually see how this is going to play out because the DOJ is so partisan. I mean, when I think about Washington, D.C., and you think about actually what a jury would look like in Washington, D.C., you got to remember that Trump in the last two elections won 6 and 4% of Washington, D.C. And in a grand jury, you don't need a unanimous verdict. You just need 51%. So it's nearly impossible, especially specifically with this judge that got assigned to the case, to think that Trump is going to have a fair trial and a fair jury right now in Washington, D.C., not just to mention what else is going on in Georgia. I think he's got a shot at a fairer jury in Georgia. But this prosecutor actually really reminds me a lot of Letitia James in the sense that she seems like she is openly out there campaigning politically, talking about how we're going to go get Trump, right? We're, we're going to make sure that no matter what we do, we're going to get that mugshot, as you said. We're going to make sure we get him in cuffs right there. That doesn't sound like somebody who is a steward for equal justice under law and somebody who believe, believes in our constitutional rights as Americans. That sounds like somebody who's running for office in a highly partisan time, uh, and it's really sad to see that to DAs, to, uh, to attorney generals around the country, and to even our attorney general here uh, in uh, in Washington.
1: Andrew, I'd like you to hold through the break. I, w- I have one or two other questions for you, and then we'll pick up. And if we can, we'll get some calls in. But let's just see how how the time flies. James Golden, AK, Sterling with here WABC. Oh, yeah, baby, on August 3rd, 1996. Los Del Rio broke it with this one, and they broke the house. It became a national craze. You remember it. The Macarena on WABC Talk Radio 77. Andrew Giuliani is with me, and we both will return. Hopefully, we'll be able to get to a call or two of yours, too, so don't go away.
0: A Shower with Those Nerdly on the
1: Red Apple Podcast Network Was Rome, is of another day. August 3rd, 1926 I've
0: been terribly alone and forgotten
1: This voice
0: Manhattan.
1: came into the world
2: I'm going home
1: 1955 of number 1 hit with Stranger in Paradise A decade bird. later 1965 This iconic song Tony Bennett, Heavenly Birthday Today Born August 3rd, 1926 Another Heavenly Birthday, ladies and gentlemen John Graham Guitarist EWF Earth, Wind and Fire the Heavenly Birthdays just roll on on WABC Talk Radio 7070. We have with us Andrew Giuliani. Andrew, let me ask you this question, please. And then let's see whether we can squeeze in a call. Yeah. I have yet to see the Republicans, the elected Republican class in Washington, D.C., standing in front of the Capitol, unified, saying, This abuse of the American judicial system threatens our republic and must stop. I've yet to see any consistent messaging from the Republican Party about the political price that Democrats will pay for this. What happens if this goes unanswered politically by Republicans, and why aren't Republicans standing out there as outraged as most of the Republican base are?
3: It is a great point, and I guess the thing is what's to stop them from doing it again, right? What would stop them from doing it again to continue to do this and utilize this basically uh, as a template? for candidates in the future, for whoever it is. I mean, it's amazing to see what they continue to throw at President Trump. I actually spent the morning with him at Bedminster before he went down to D.C. and before he was getting indicted. And, you know, the thing that he said to myself and a and a few other friends that were, that were around him was, you know, the funny thing is, this doesn't even bother me at this point. He said the first indictment, it bothered me a little bit. The second indictment, a little bit less. And by the third indictment, and now I'm not even bothered by this at this point, because he sees just how political this actually is, this action. It's it's horrendous to me to actually see this. And I think you have to ask yourself, when does it end and how does it end? How do we actually get our constitutional republic back where we can trust our justice system, where we can trust our Department of Justice? And I think at the very least, congressional Republicans need to be standing out on the steps of that Capitol and addressing the American people, each and every one. And look, if many of the left on the media won't cover it, then that's their default in the media. But we know we would cover it. We know certainly there would be other outlets, other fair outlets that would cover it. And at the very least, they can go out there and show that unity and show the American people that they're standing up for equal justice under law.
1: Mary and Bud Lake, you're on with Andrew Giuliani, and you're on with Bo Snurley. How are you this afternoon, Mary?
3: Oh, I'm thrilled that you called on me. And hello, Andrew Giuliani, you are a treasure, and Mr. Golden, you are a treasure. I have a an old, very old Irish um, protection prayer, that, and it's not long, and I'd like to send it out for Trump now, as he's needing it. Adorable
1: quickly, Lord please. dying on- Mhm.
3: Okay. Uh, go ahead, adorable quickly. Lord mm-hmm. Adorable Lord dying on a gallows tree, save us. O oh, Holy Cross of Christ, see us safe through. O oh, Holy Cross of Christ, ward off from us all things that are evil. O oh, Holy Cross of Christ, ward off from us all sharp, repeating words. O oh, Holy Cross of Christ, guide us the right way to happiness. O oh, Holy Cross of Christ, see us safe through. O oh, Holy Cross of Christ, lead us to life everlasting. Amen.
1: Thank you, Mary. Let us quickly go to Gail in Connecticut. Gail, you're on with Andrew Giuliani in Bosnelli. How are you, Gail?
3: Yes, I'm okay. How are you, Bob?
1: Fine. Got to move I'm, quick.
3: Okay. I'm wondering why the American people, some of us, can't join in um, charging the leftists with an impartial attack on Trump. Uh, doesn't the Constitution guarantee that the judge and the jury will have to be impartial? And they're obviously Andrew. not.
1: What about that? What about the? What about we have seen mm-hmm. this blatant political action? How yeah. do you defend this with the Constitution?
3: You know, I think you have to go and look right at the heart of the Department of Justice, and, you know, this is not the FBI in particular, but at the FBI, and you could see just how rotten they've become, how political they've become. I would really say since Eric Holder, it feels like the DOJ – became far more political under the Obama administration, first with Holder, then with Lynch, and now certainly we're seeing it supercharged with Garland. So I think in terms of fixing it, what you've got to do is you've got to root this thing out. And my suggestion would even be, hey, take this thing, take the Department of Justice and move it outside of the Beltway. Maybe not even to like Alexandria, Virginia, move it somewhere else in the country. That way you're not going to get these people that are affected by the D.C. social scene because You've seen this both time and time again. You know how many people end up becoming Mr. Smith goes to Washington with the right intentions, and all of a sudden they get corrupted by the wrong reasons right there. So in terms of what you do in the short term in all this, I think you need to have somebody who's going to have the willingness to go in there and is going to root out all of these, sadly, corrupt prosecutors that we're seeing. So many of these judges that have become so political in all this. I just look at this judge who's dealing uh, with this case uh, in D.C., and it's so apparent. We already know what she would potentially rule. How we, she would potentially uh, turn the case, considering how she's ruled against these January 6th defendants. So there's no impartiality in my mind, and, and it certainly doesn't feel like it's something that the founding fathers uh, would, uh, would would at the very least uh, support.
1: You know, one of the things that has to be done, they have to be defeated politically. Yeah. We yeah. must use this as an instrument to defeat them. We cannot clean up the mess that they've made unless we operate the levers, when I say we, unless people who understand, and i this goes beyond politics to me. I would also suggest that that messaging should be to people on the other side of the aisle who respect the republic and who see this naked political power grab for what it is, that we ask them to join into to save this republic. Andrew, that's the time we have. Thank you. Thank you, Bo. We'll speak next week, my friend. I cannot wait. Always delight to have you and speak with you. you. Thank you, Andrew. Thank you. Andrew Giuliani, folks, may God bless, protect each and single, every single one of you, your loved ones and your families. God willing, we'll be here tomorrow for Bo Snurley's Friday rush hour. Can't believe it's Friday already and a chance to speak with you again on the phone. Sorry, we couldn't get to every call. And we will see you tomorrow. God willing. Bye.